Hello, everyone. This is Isabel Cortez, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. Lullaby and good night, with pink roses bedight, with lilies overspread is my baby's sweet head. Lay you down now and rest. May your slumber be blessed. We've all heard that sweet lullaby at least once in our lives, haven't we? It's a beautiful little tune meant to rock babies to sleep and hopefully have them dreaming of delicate, comforting things. But what a lot of people don't know is that the origin of these lullabies are rooted in something, and someone, far more sinister. Lilith, the demonic figure of Jewish folklore, is said to be one of the fiercest and most malevolent demons in lore. Some might call her the mother of demons, who snatches babies from their cribs at night. Others might refer to her as Adam's first wife who went astray. And some even refer to her as the first feminist icon. But regardless of what narrative of hers you choose to believe in, there's no doubt in my mind that Lilith is a force to be reckoned with. Lilith gets her name from a few different sources. It seems as though every region and religion under the sun has a version of Lilith, but the meaning of her name remains about the same. In various Hebrew language texts, the name Lilith, or Lilith, can be translated to mean night creature, night monster, or night hag. There are even some interpretations of her name that could be translated to mean screech owl, adding on to the mythology that she is a ferocious and dangerous creature. A verse from the book of Isaiah, chapter 34, verse 14 to be exact, corroborates this theory across different versions of the Bible. In the International Standard Version, it reads, And desert creatures will meet with hyenas, and goat demons will call out to each other. There also Liliths will settle and find for themselves a resting place. In the Amplified Bible, the same verse reads, The creatures of the desert will encounter jackals, and the hairy goat will call it to its kind. Indeed, Lilith, night demon, will settle there, and find herself a place to rest. Other versions, such as the King James Bible, the NASB 1995, and the Aramaic Bible in Plain English, change the word Lilith and replace it with words like female night demon, night monster, and the screech owl. But you get the gist. It's the same person. In the Akkadian languages of Assyria and Babylonia, the term lily directly translates to mean spirit. Now, if you'll remember from last episode, the term Lilit and Lilitu might sound a little familiar. Our good friend Pazuzu was king of the Lilu demons, and there are some conifer inscriptions from Mesopotamia that associate Lilith with the Lilu wind demons. Now, that might be because of the close proximity of the names. Lilith, Lilu, Lilitu... They all sound kind of alike, and it might be because of Lilith's striking resemblance to Lamashtu, the baby-snatching demon, in both her name and agenda. But unfortunately, there's no real way for us to know the reasoning behind the close similarities of the names. It might be a regional thing, it might not. We just don't know. Lilith might actually have her roots in a historically earlier class of female demons called the Lilitu. 
These demons live in ancient Semitic legends and allegedly haunt deserted places and are responsible for attacks on infant children and newborns. In all the versions of the legend of Lilith, there are two themes that every story seems to fall under. They either show Lilith as a child-killing witch, literally hellbent on strangling and murdering helpless children, or as a sexually wanton, immoral, and savage woman who seduces married men and causes them to stray from their marriage beds. Both of these stories tend to bleed into each other, even though they came up independently from one another. But this means that Lilith being a child-killing demon might also explain why she's a husband-stealing demon too. Now, let's take a little deep dive into both of these legends. First, Lilith, the child killer. The legend of Lilith being a child-murdering demoness really found its footing in the Middle Ages. Legends with this kind of description can be found in the Agada, a compendium of rabbinic texts, the Zohar, a fundamental work in the literature of Jewish thought known as Kabbalah, and books on the art of Jewish mysticism. Lilith also appears in a list of demons in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in the Songs of Sage, or also known as the Songs of Maskil. The Dead Sea Scrolls are a manuscript of Jewish magical incantations and exorcisms, specifically made for protection against the listed demons. Jewish mythology claims Lilith as the first wife of Adam, who was created at the same time as he was. She was made as Adam's equal, a sharp contrast from Eve, who according to Catholic texts, was made after Adam, from Adam. According to the Alphabet of Ben Sira, a anonymous text from the Middle Ages inspired by the Hellenic text known as the Sirach, God created Adam and then quickly created Lilith because he observed that it was not good for man to be alone. Lilith and Adam were meant to walk the earth together as companions and eventually build a society in unison. However, once God left the pair alone, a fight broke out between the couple. A fight, if I'm going to be completely honest with you all, was definitely Adam's fault. You see, Adam tried to get Lilith to lay down beneath him during sex, to which according to the text, Lilith replied, I will not lie below. Adam was enraged by her insolence and shouted back, I will not lie beneath you, but only on top, for you are only meant to be in the bottom position while I am meant to be the superior one. Now listen, (laughs) Adam could have just said, no, I don't want to be on the bottom, just like Lilith had. But instead, he decided to launch into this little tirade about Lilith's proper place as his inferior. And it did not have to be like that. According to the alphabet of Ben Sira, Lilith responded, We are equal to each other in as much as we were both created from the earth. But they would not listen to one another. When Lilith saw this, she pronounced the ineffable name and flew away into the air. The ineffable name is considered by biblical historians to be the actual name of God, which no one was allowed to speak out loud out of respect for God as the supreme ruler. Lilith is the only biblical or historical figure on record to have 
ever uttered the ineffable name aloud. Now at this point, Adam breaks down in a dramatic fashion and asks God to bring his wife back. According to the alphabet of Ben Sirah, God sends out three angels, Senoi, Sansenoi, and Semelangoth, to go retrieve Lilith. If she comes back, then awesome, all is great. But if she doesn't, not only will God turn her into a demon, but she will be forced to give birth to a hundred demons every day, and then watch all her demon children die every night. When the angels eventually find Lilith and tell her God's plan for her, Lilith tells the angels to fuck right off and leave her alone. The text reads, Leave me, she said. I was created only to cause sickness in infants. If the infant is male, I have dominion over him for eight days after his birth, and if female, for twenty days. But she swore to them by the name of the living and eternal God, whenever I see you or your names or your forms on an amulet, I will have no power over that infant. Accordingly, every day 100 demons perish, and for the same reason, we write the names of angels on the amulet of young children. When Lilith sees their names, she remembers her oath, and the child recovers. So think about it. Lilith would rather be turned into a demon, give birth to a hundred demons, and then watch those demons die, than go back to Adam and be in a crappy marriage. Damn. According to mythology, Lilith kills unprotected infants as retribution for the children of hers that she is forced to watch die every night. Yeah, she agreed to it, but apparently that doesn't stop her from being pissed off about it. Parents would inscribe amulets with the names of the three angels that God had sent out to retrieve Lilith and place them around their babies' necks in the hopes that it would keep Lilith away. This tradition was more popular among families with newborn boys. The infant boys would wear the amulets until the day of their circumcisions. Why they didn't make this amulet wearing practice just as popular for the baby girls, because remember, she goes after the baby girls as well, I don't know. But you can come up with your own conclusions about that. Lilith is seen as an anti-child symbol. She's often associated with the monster of Greek mythology Lamia, whose title literally means child killer. Lamia and her ilk run around stealing babies and eating them for the hell of it. Lilith, however, steals and kills children to avenge her own. Jewish mythology also states that she commits these unspeakable acts because of the fact that God cursed her with the ability to give birth in the first place. Lilith did not want to have children proclaiming in several texts that she wished she could play an equal role in building a prosperous world with Adam. She viewed the act of childbirth as violent and didn't want to be seen as just a, quote, breeder. But the act of giving life, bringing someone new into the world who could also accomplish magnificent wonders, was something that God considered sacred and important. So for Lilith to turn her back on that, 
was a big no-no. She was quickly turned into a symbol of hatred and violence towards children. Remember how I mentioned lullabies in the beginning of our little chat? Well, some etymologists have claimed that the word lullaby derives from the Hebrew term Lilith Abi, which translates to Lilith Be Gone. Jewish mothers would supposedly hang four amulets, one on each of the nursery walls, with the inscription Lilith Abi, in the hopes that the amulets would keep the demoness away. For an extra kick of protection, mothers would sing prayers and incantations to their babies as they slept, both to rock the little ones to sleep and to protect them against Lilith. The hope was that if Lilith heard the lullaby, the prayer or incantation would keep her from stealing or killing the baby. Eventually, lullabies became more mainstream, and the spells gave way to songs about spiders crawling up water spouts and babies rocking on treetops. Although I will say, those visuals don't sound so calming to me either. Now let's talk about Lilith, the sexually promiscuous she-demon. According to several different authors, such as 13th century writer Isaac ben Jacob Hakoen and 17th century German scholar Johannes Buxdorf, after Lilith fled from Adam, she coupled up with some pretty serious heavy hitters from hell. Like, if you want to talk about crazy ex-boyfriends, I'll give you crazy ex-boyfriends. In Ha Cohen's writings, Lilith became romantically entangled with the archangel Samael directly after leaving Adam. Samael is known in the Bible for straddling the lines between good and evil. In Talmudic texts, he appears in the story of the Garden of Eden, being responsible for engineering the fall of Adam and Eve by conspiring with the serpent. In the book of Baruch, he himself plants the tree of knowledge, which causes him to be banished and cursed by God. Now, what are the odds that Lilith's new boyfriend would be responsible for the demise of her ex-husband and his new wife, with zero involvement on her behalf? Coincidence? I think not. And then there's Johannes Buxdorf's writings. According to the German scholar, Lilith also had an entanglement with Asmodeus, the king of demons, and ruled beside him as his queen. This version of the Lilith myth states that there is another world that runs parallel to ours, called Yenvelt, which is Yiddish for other world. In this other world, Lilith and Asmodeus are constantly fornicating, and as a result, endlessly procreating demons that are then sent out to wreak havoc and chaos into our world. She is also blamed for the loss of infant life, which bleeds into her other role as a child killer. The tales of Lilith coupling with the likes of Asmodeus and Samael both have something in common. Lilith is painted as a sexually wanton, promiscuous, and immoral woman who would prefer to live her life besides demons and sinners. Instead of staying with Adam and giving birth to children who could do something positive in this world, 
She prefers to be the partner of some of the greatest villains in biblical history and give birth to demons. These tales also paint her as a vain woman, obsessed with her looks and her own strive for power. In fact, according to Jewish folklore, Lilith is often painted with long flowing hair, which is considered to be a dangerous symbol of female sexuality and seduction in some orthodox sects. Many women in these ancient sects chose to cover their hair or openly wear wigs as a way of appearing more holy and modest. Lilith also had the ability to possess women by entering them through mirrors. A vain woman will spend too much time in front of a mirror, thus making her more susceptible to possession. People were so afraid of Lilith and the harm that she could do that she is one of the demons prominently featured in the protective spells inscribed of some of the aiding surviving Jewish occult incantation bowls from the Sassanid Empire. These protective bowls were buried upside down under the home or somewhere on the property in an attempt to keep the demoness away or at least trap her so that she couldn't go batshit bananas on the family. It is said that Lilith had the power to transfigure herself into the form of the matriarch of the home. The ruse would be so flawless that it would fool the woman's husband. She would seduce him, take him to bed, and eventually conceive his child. She would then become hateful towards any child that he would have with his actual wife and make it her mission to kill that baby so that hers could be the only one acknowledged. But don't get it twisted. Lilith also had the tendency of transfiguring into the man so that she could pull the same thing on the wife. She would seduce her, take her to bed, and get her pregnant. Once the wife gave birth, she and her husband would realize what had happened. The husband would become enraged and refuse to acknowledge the half-demon, half-human child. This would cause Lilith to spring out of hell and try to kill the child much to the dismay of the woman who just spent God knows how many hours of grueling labor to bring it into the world. These incantation bowls were so popular that excavations in Iran have shown that almost every home had one buried on the property. While the two sides of Lilith, baby killer and sexually voracious woman, came up at different times in history, the stories have a lot in common, mainly that she goes against the perceived norm that were attached to women, especially women in the times when these myths and legends were most popular. Long story short, Lilith was everything a woman shouldn't be. She left her husband when he demanded she be submissive to him. She refused to not have her sexual needs met by him, and she refused to give birth to children that she didn't want to have. There are many historians and authors who still view Lilith as a symbol of female sexual independence and liberation. They see her as a woman who knew what she wanted in both marriage and sex and was subsequently punished for it. There is a reason why she is painted as the complete polar opposite of Eve, who was specifically made to be nothing like her predecessor. Eve was meant to be a more docile and modest wife, and the pair more closely personified the ideal roles that a husband and wife should play. Adam provides, and Eve is grateful, 
Adam speaks, and Eve stays silent and listens. Lilith was made to be the villain because she refused to do just that. Lilith was turned into a demon to exemplify just how great Eve was in comparison. But even this is completely insane because Eve falls to temptation and is essentially blamed for the biggest catastrophe in biblical history, the expulsion from the Garden of Eden. So apparently, according to these stories, women can't do anything right. Lilith was meant to be a warning to all women. She was meant to be the thing that women looked at and thought, I don't want to turn into that. But with more and more women researching Lilith and her origins, it's not surprising to me that she's coming out as more of an anti-hero than a straight-up villain. I mean, don't get me wrong, she eats babies and that's definitely not okay. But feminist historians believe that those stories were made up in an attempt to paint women who don't want children in a specific light. They're essentially saying, oh, you don't want babies? Why? Are you a baby-stealing baby-eater? Lilith is coming up as the character that people can relate to now. A woman who refused to be silenced, submissive, or shunned. So it's no surprise to me that pop culture has taken a liking to her. The CW's TV show Supernatural, Neil Gaiman's DC comic The Sandman, and Jay Wells's Sabina K. novels all feature Lilith as a powerful and fierceful force to be reckoned with. Jewish feminist theologian Judith Plaskow wrote The Coming of Lilith, which examines the patriarchal dominance that lives within Judaism and Christianity. She writes the story of Lilith's expulsion from the Garden of Eden, how Eve was created as an answer to Lilith's insubordination, and how eventually the two women would meet and form a bond. It's a great book if you're interested in learning more about Lilith from a different perspective. Now the story you're about to hear is that of a journalist who had survived the worst of the worst. In the midst of her search for a great story, she was about to find something so much more. She was about to find the chance to start over with a mysterious group of women who worshipped an unlikely figure. But would the price of peace be too high? If there was one thing to be said about Blake, it was that she would do anything to get her story. When she first started working for Let's Get Weird, a website that devoted itself to telling stories about cults, conspiracies, ghost sightings, and demons, she knew that she wanted to do more than write puff pieces on hotels with vague ghost descriptions or UFO sightings by people who live really close to Air Force bases. No, she wanted to dive deep into topics with some meat, some substance. Her first story was on a priest who was famous for performing exorcisms on possessed members of the church. Her second story was about a man who had gone missing in the Paris catacombs and left behind nothing but a camcorder and an emergency pack. She spent three days in the catacombs for that one, something she was not likely to try again, and a night in jail. Now that she had a year's worth of experience at the website, she felt herself going stale. 
it was like she was running out of things to write about that excited her. It didn't help that she had just come out of an abusive relationship either. One that left her second-guessing not only her worth, but also her talent. Getting the strength and asking for the help that she had needed to finally leave the selfish bastard was hard enough. Convincing herself that she was talented enough to write a really powerful piece, that was proving to be much harder. Every time that she came across something that she thought could be interesting to write about, a little voice in the back of her head told her that A, it was dumb, and B, she would probably end up messing it up anyway. The thing about Blake was that she had kept the majority of her abusive relationship a secret from everyone close to her because she was embarrassed. She had watched an endless amount of documentaries and listened to so many podcasts about women who had left their abusive partners after years of abuse and had always thought to herself, why wouldn't they just leave? Yeah, it was hard, but you would imagine that if someone was kicking the shit out of you, you would walk away. It confounded her. And then it happened to her. And she learned firsthand that it was easier said than done. It didn't always start off with getting the snot kicked out of you. It would almost always start off small. A comment about your weight here. A guilt trip there. She had been together with her ex for so long that she didn't want to believe that he was capable of being that person. But then the fighting became more intense. He had begun to restrict her spending even though she had been the primary breadwinner. He would tell her what to wear and what to eat, who she could and could not speak to, and how often she could see her family and friends. Things reached a boiling point when he punched a hole through a kitchen cabinet, and then on that same day, kicked her in the stomach. He had said that it had been an accident. He had seen red and it just happened. And she not wanting to believe that she had spent the last seven years of her life with an abusive monster, let it go. Because there was no way she had been that bad of a judge of character for so long. But the beatings kept happening, meticulously placed in spots that he knew were not visible to the naked eye. And then one day, she found herself writing a will and testament at the age of 32. And she knew that she was in big trouble. If she stayed with him, she thought, she would eventually end up dead, featured on one of those shows she had been so critical of before. That very night, she had called her sister and fled the home that she had bought with her own hard-earned money in the middle of the night. She never told anyone about the beatings, and the only time she involved the police was to get him kicked out of her home. She hadn't spoken to him in more than a year. And yet his grip on her life was still strong. She couldn't shake the image of herself that he had planted in her brain. And she knew that as long as he lived, there would always be that little voice telling her that he was right. It wasn't until she came across a listicle of the most obscure cults around the world that she found something that made her heart race with excitement. It was the first time she had gotten excited about a writing project since her nightmare ordeal. The list itself didn't explain much. It was really only five sentences long. A blurb attached to a grainy photo taken by a long lens, capturing its subjects in mixed expressions of shock and annoyance. 
the daughters of Lilith, it said, on top of a picture of five women with impossibly long, almost ankle-length hair, wearing red robes and entering a forest. The article stated that the Daughters of Lilith were a centuries-old cult that originated somewhere in Europe, but were active in all parts of the world. The sects were usually small, four or five people max, and they did not enjoy being photographed or seen in public. The photograph featured in the article had no date, no publication, nothing. Members never spoke about their involvement, or at least tried not to. Not because they were shamed, or because they did anything wrong. They were just incredibly private. The only known interview that was ever given was done in 1979, and it was only because some conservative magazine published a piece on the Daughters of Lilith, claiming that they were baby killers, man-haters, and were even blamed for a series of murders that had occurred in Scotland. Men were being found murdered in their own homes, being repeatedly stabbed and left to bleed out and die alone. All of the men in question had multiple instances of domestic abuse under their belts, although none of them had ever been arrested or seen the inside of a prison cell for it. The wives of the deceased had all been rumored to be active members of the Daughters of Lilith, but since the murders had happened in various parts of Scotland, and there had been no physical evidence to link them to the crimes, they had all been cleared of the charges. In the television interview, a woman who identified herself only as Lily said in a clear and calm voice, The mythology of Lilith can be interpreted in several different ways. Some see her as a biblical villain, but we see her as one of the first women in history to rebel against what was expected of her. She chose not to be submissive or subservient, and so she was punished for it and her punishment was a heavy one. Yes, she was turned into a demon, but she was free from the shackles of her would-be abuser. We see her as the first true representation of female independence and righteous power. It's obvious why people would want to paint her as a villain. And you're not concerned about how the media is looking at you and your fellow members? The television host asked. Lilith has been seen as a monster for centuries upon centuries. It would be logical for someone to see her followers as such as well. We aren't bothered by it because we know who we are and who we follow. And what about the murders? He pressed. What about them? She replied casually. Well, four men are dead and they're blaming you all. You don't seem to be broken up about their deaths, and you surely don't seem to be worried about the rumors that your fellow group members killed them. It doesn't help your case much if you're trying to make us believe that you didn't have anything to do with it. There was a silence between the two. Blake had checked the interview video to see if it had paused accidentally, but no. Lily had taken the time to silently look into the interviewer's eyes and smile at him. The look that she was giving him was such that she was peering into his soul, and it wasn't long before the man broke eye contact and pretended to look at something on his cards. I'm not trying to make you believe anything, Lily said. 
The men who were found dead in their homes all had extensive histories of domestic violence. Nothing had been done about those charges, and they never saw any repercussions to their actions. As much as we feel for the dead, we feel less for those who died in a painful manner after spending their lives inflicting pain on others. Let me ask you this. If their wives and girlfriends had been murdered instead, beaten to death by the men that they loved, and left a crumpling, bloody mess on the living room floor, would we be having the same conversation? No. That woman would have joined the record number of women who are murdered by a significant other. She would have become another statistic, and the press would have moved on by lunchtime. I feel sadness at the loss of life, but not by the specific lives that were lost. I might also add that all the women who were interrogated and suspected for those crimes were found innocent. Blake didn't know what it was about that interview, but she immediately fell down the rabbit hole of all things Lilith. She spent days doing extensive research, reading articles, books, and speaking to priests and rabbis. She was hooked. Lilith was believed to be the first wife of Adam, who fled from his side after he demanded that she be his subservient. Unlike Eve, who was created from Adam, Lilith was created at the same time as Adam and from the same material. When Lilith proclaimed to Adam that she was his equal and should be treated as such, he demanded she get in her place below him. Lilith got the hell out of Dodge before things could get any worse, and God, to no surprise, took Adam's side even though he had literally made them as partners. She was apparently a demon queen and mother, a baby-snatching monster, a shapeshifter who caused spouses to cheat on each other, and a feminist icon. That part took Blake a little by surprise, but the more she read about it, the more it made sense to her. Lilith represented female choice for a lot of groups. Several scholarly journals that Blake read wrote about Lilith being the first woman who chose to do things differently in life, and she was literally demonized for it. She was vain because she felt powerful in her body. She was a baby killer because she didn't want to have kids whenever Adam wanted them, and she was a whore because she accepted her sexuality. Blake was desperate to speak to someone from the daughters of Lilith. She wanted, no, needed, to get an insider's perspective on why Lilith was so alluring. And if she was going to be completely honest with herself, she wanted to know more about the women who followed her. An article stated that most of the women who were part of the group were brought in by others, so Blake set out to hunt down any of the members that still lived in Scotland in the hopes of getting an invitation. She made so many phone calls and sent out so many emails that she was certain she would catch something. But no, people's lips were sealed. Blake was starting to lose hope when one day she found a red envelope in her mailbox. The paper inside was thick and fragrant and looked homemade. In delicate spiral writing were the words Everett Forest, Tonight, Midnight. 
She had broken the gold wax seal upon opening the envelope, but when she joined the two pieces together, there was the image of a nude woman with long hair staring back at her. She didn't know how she knew, but she knew it was from the daughters of Lilith. In fact, she was sure of it. This was the invitation she had been hoping for for so long. She didn't care that they somehow knew where she lived or that there was a huge possibility that they had been watching her. She was elated. Midnight was only a few hours away and she needed to prepare herself. The path into Everett Forest was a long and winding one. The trails were narrow and the trees were thick and imposing, making the spot less of a hiking fan favorite than one would imagine. Truth be told, locals stayed clear of Everett Forest at night, citing anything from witches to serial killers. Blake hugged her jacket around her as she made her way through the trail, squeezing the stun gun and pepper spray in her pocket every few seconds for assurance. She hoped she didn't need them, hoped that she wasn't gullible enough to fall for a murderer's forest trap, but she honestly didn't know. She didn't exactly know where she was going either, but there was only one trail in the forest and she assumed that if she kept walking it long enough, she would find something, or something would find her. Sure enough, after 10 minutes of walking deeper and deeper through the trees, the sound of footsteps began to crunch behind her. Hesitantly, she turned around, expecting to find an animal or a murderer or both. But instead, what she saw was a woman in a thick red cloak standing perfectly still behind her. Her long blonde hair fell in waves down her back, and much to Blake's surprise, she was barefoot. They stood staring at each other for what felt like forever, before Blake got the feeling that she should keep walking, and so she turned around and kept walking. Before long, she noticed another cloaked woman was walking beside her, this one with a shaved head and gold hoop earrings glistening in her ears. She too was barefoot. One more woman appeared to her right, and another a few paces ahead of her. She realized then that she was surrounded. Even if she wanted to leave, she would have to make her way through the women. And she didn't know how they were going to take that. She didn't know what they were capable of. Before she could put together an exit strategy, the trail widened and a bright light radiated before her. A giant bonfire blazed in the middle of a clearing in the woods. The person stood with her back to Blake, her shadow extending into the trees with the intensity of the flames. The women surrounding Blake walked over to meet their compatriot, and when they were all together, they turned to face her. The woman in the middle stepped forward and looked into Blake's eyes. The voice that came out was far more pleasant than what she had anticipated. You were looking for us, the woman said. Blake blinked several times. Yes. Why, if I may ask? Blake cleared her throat. <clears throat> I'm a writer. I wanted to do a piece on you and your... Cult? One of the women asked, a short-haired brunette with a scorpion tattoo on her neck. The question sent a ripple of laughter through the other women, 
lightening the mood immediately. Blake relaxed, but only a little. Why are you really here? The woman asked again. Blake was getting the sense that she was a leader of sorts. I started doing research on your group for the article I was writing, but something in me was telling me, telling me, I don't know, to be honest with you. I just felt like I had to be here. That's the voice of Lilith, the leader said. She sensed your yearning for knowledge and brought us to you. How did you know where I live? Another ripple of laughter ran through the crowd. We have ways of getting information, the leader said with a smile. Plus, you didn't exactly hide the fact that you were looking for us, the fourth member said, a petite blonde with short cropped hair. I'm assuming you thought that you would find us before we found you. The leader stepped forward and took Blake's hands into her own. My name is Freya, and I also see that you have an immense amount of pain and shame crippling your heart. Blake could do nothing but shake her head in agreement. Speak to us, sister, Freya said. Speak your pain into the flames for Lilith to hear. Freya led Blake closer to the fire and in a flood of emotion cried out the story of the abuse she had endured and the heartache that came with it. She told the flames of the fire about the beatings and the secrets and how a small part of her thought that she had deserved it. When she was done, she felt as though a weight had been lifted off of her shoulders. You're here because Lilith can help you overcome this, Freya said calmly, but only if you accept her into your heart. What does that mean? Blake asked. It means having the strength and devotion necessary to allow Lilith into your life. Swear your love to Lilith. Let her take you under her patronage and unleash her almighty power. Blake blinked. Am I giving her my soul or something? She asked, half kidding, half not. Not your soul, Freya replied. Your heart. If you become a daughter of Lilith, you give Lilith your devotion and love, and she gives you protection, strength, and the power to be the best version of yourself. We will love you like a sister. She will love you like a daughter. And you will love yourself in a way you never thought possible. This isn't about an article. It's about you. Blake reflected back on all the times she spent crying in her bed, feeling useless and unworthy of love. Her abuser had made her feel like a burden and a waste. And even after she had left him, she had still felt that way. She hated the way that people looked at her, like a broken toy on the side of the road trying to mend itself with a flimsy needle and thread. People felt bad for her. Her family felt bad for her. And she had been trying so hard to piece her life back together. 
but she just couldn't find the strength to do it. But here, in the presence of all of those women, she felt safe at home. She felt as though she was supposed to be there. What do I do? Blake asked. Nothing. Just open your heart and we will do the rest. The women raised their arms to the sky and began to chant. Mother Lilith, hear our call. Your daughter has come home to see you and seeks your guidance and love. The flames of the pyre began to shift from a familiar orange and red to a deep purple. The smell of hot embers and sulfur filled the air. Mother Lilith, the women continued to chant. Deliver her from the pain that conquers her heart. Open her mind to her divine power. Strike down the enemies that hold her hostage. Blake squinted her eyes and looked into the flames. A figure was emerging from within the fire. Step into this world, Mother Lilith. Your daughter gives you her heart. Give her strength. Rise, Lilith, rise. Blake slowly backed away from the fire. From the depths of the flames, a woman stepped out, naked, with wild, golden hair pooling at her feet. She looked savage, her eyes darting back and forth from the women to Blake. The daughters of Lilith cried out, Mother Lilith, our hearts belong to thee. Blake was rooted to the spot. She couldn't move, couldn't think, couldn't imagine what she was seeing with her own two eyes. The demon Lilith stepped towards her, her skin radiating a piercing heat. Daughter, Lilith cooed at Blake, show me your heart's pain. How? Blake choked out. Lilith drove her sharp nails into Blake's temples and with that motion opened her mind for Lilith to peer into. Blake watched the last two years of her life flash before her. She could feel Lilith by her side as she watched herself endure beating after beating. They watched her hide bruises smile through the public insults and pretend that everything was all right. Finally, they watched Blake flee her home and felt the mixture of guilt and relief wash over her all over again as the car sped off into the night. Lilith removed her nails and Blake stood with her hands on her knees, gasping. She was back in the forest with Lilith and the women watching her. She searched their faces for that same look of pity that she had become accustomed to, but found nothing of the sort. Your heart knows pain, Lilith said. The same pain that my daughters have felt for a millennia. But I can cure that. I can take away all the pain and instead give you power and strength. Is that what you wish for? 
Yes, Blake cried out and dropped to her knees, sobbing. Then rise, my daughter, rise, and do what must be done. Blake got up and took Lilith's outstretched hand. Together, they walked through the flames of the fire, and when they came out on the other side, they were standing in a bedroom. Blake had never seen it before, but she recognized the figure sleeping in the bed. It was her ex-boyfriend. Blake gasped. Lilith came around the bed and sniffed her ex like a hungry animal. This man reeks of cowardice. He inflicts pain on those he deems weak. But he is the weak one. His hold on you is only temporary. But I sense that he will continue to hurt if not stopped. Footsteps shuffled down the hallway and Blake braced herself. A young woman stepped into the room. She can't be more than 22, Blake thought. The girl gasped at the sight of Blake and then quickly put her hand over her mouth to stop herself from screaming when she saw Lilith. Blake looked over at Lilith, who had sprouted sharp, shark-like teeth, a twisted tail, and blood-red eyes. Her skin was covered in ash and soot, as if she had been living in the deepest depths of hell. And yet Blake wasn't afraid. Do not be afraid, little one, Lilith purred. The girl, as if hypnotized, stepped into the moonlight streaming through the window. Blake noticed a blossoming black eye and several bruises on her midsection and thighs. Her heart broke. Lilith was right. He was going to keep doing this until he was stopped. Go, Blake said strongly. Leave. Don't come back. Go back home. He'll find me, the girl said, unable to take her eyes off Lilith. No, he won't, Blake said. Not now, not ever again. The girl stayed still until Lilith let out a low growl, frightening her. She ran barefoot out of the house, slamming the door behind her. You know what must be done. Lilith purred, you know what must be done. Blake looked down at her hands and saw that she had sprouted long, sharp nails. They resembled the talons that grew out of Lilith's own hands. I give you my hands to rid yourself of your tormentor and the tormentor of so many others. Blake thought for a second. She was about to kill him. She was about to take his life and end it. Could she live with herself after something like that? Could she live with the knowledge that she had taken his life? Yes, she thought. I can. Blake's eyes turned blood red, the same shade of Lilith's and began to take her revenge on the man who had made her life a living hell. 
She heard his screams, but didn't stop. She heard him cry, but she didn't stop. Had he stopped when she was screaming and crying, backed into a corner like an animal? No, and neither would she. Finally, when she felt his last breath leave his lips, she stopped. Lilith took a finger and dipped it into his blood. You are my daughter now, she said, drawing a sigil on Blake's forehead and blood. Praise be to Mother Lilith, Blake said. And for the first time in more than two years, she felt good. is one of those polarizing characters in history that still has people scratching their heads. Is she evil or is she not? Is she someone to praise or someone to hate? It's all a bit confusing, but you have to admit that it was pretty brave of her to not only stand up to her husband, but to stand up to God as well. The demonization of Lilith has been seen throughout history as a punishment inflicted on her, turning her into a savage and bloodthirsty beast. But what people don't seem to realize is that Lilith took the punishment and said, okay, now leave me alone. Her situation was so bad that she'd rather be turned into a demon than return to her previous life. Like it or not, she took her future, her sexuality, and her body into her own hands. Whether she committed acts of good or evil were entirely her choice. And that's what this is all about, isn't it? Freedom and choice. Think about that the next time you think of Lilith. But be careful. You never know what invoking her name will cause. Thank you for taking this haunted journey with me today. This is episode two of the six-part series on demons from around the world. Stay tuned next episode for the introduction of Samael, the poison of God. If you want to hear more myths, legends, and scary stories, don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Until next time.